0: Hello, listeners and citizens of Broncos country. My name is Adan Diaz and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, how about them Broncos, huh? Let's give a round of applause for the boys who are, man, you know, talk about trying to keep something together with duct tape because that's exactly what this team is starting to look like, folks. Uh, You know, it's always a very passionate game whenever the Broncos get to play against the Panthers ever since Super Bowl 50 when the Broncos were, if I'm not mistaken, considered the underdogs, seeing as how the Panthers going into that game were just the, you know, Cinderella team and, you know, Cam Newton being named NFL MVP going into the Super Bowl. And, you know, basically it was the Broncos versus the world almost damn near. But. You know, unfortunately, not everything is the way it seems in life. And that game was totally different as the Super Bowl defensive and MVP, Von Miller, just went in there and shut that shit down and hand delivered Carolina's worst loss of their entire season that year and uh, Denver's third Super Bowl victory for that matter so we played them again I believe that following season in the home opener in 2016 and the Broncos won that by a field goal and then I don't think we saw Carolina since then up until this time I could be I could be wrong but that's the last time I remember we played Carolina was in Denver so there's and going into this game <laughs> I'm, I'm not only was was Denver Broncos the official website but uh, Putting up pictures of you know kind of like a trip down memory lane, so to speak, of the Super Bowl Fifty game and victory. But so were the fans, and you know even though both of these teams were not where they were five years ago, and uh, anybody who's not a fan of either one probably wasn't considered America's game of the week or what have you or playoff implications and and whatnot. You have to believe that. As a Broncos fan, you there was no way that we could go in there and say, you, you know, we're, we're going to lose this game. Even whether you're on board with Drew Lock or not, this was a game where everybody was a Drew Lock fan because it's one thing to lose to division rival like the Chiefs, Raiders, or Chargers, but it's a whole different thing to lose against a team like the Panthers. You know, because then if, if the Broncos would have lost that game, all we would have been saying is like hey at least we have a ring you know which is what most fans say when they remember uh, a matchup uh, of that caliber and it it, it it just goes to just to show you that um basically this even though this team has struggled at times when they get their shit together man can this team be something else I mean, it's just beyond amazing. This Drew Lock was the Drew Lock that everybody at the beginning of the season had in mind. This is exactly it. This was the Drew Lock that I've been picturing all off-season that, you know, I've been hyping since the the off-season and this is the Drew Lock that we wanted to see week 1 against Tennessee. You know, Drew Lock going out there. Matter of fact, let's take a quick look at his stats. Since, you know, and this podcast, we always start with the offense. Drew Lock was 21 completed passes for 27 attempts. He threw for 280 yards with four beautiful interceptions. No picks. I think the no picks makes this stat line just so much sweeter because it seemed that since Drew Locke has had the ball for most of his games, he usually had one to two picks. And... It kind of ruined his stat line and even if the Broncos won or even if Drew Locke had a really good game like that game against Miami. It's just that that one or even two, and in some cases three, pick uh, and his stat line would just, uh, it was like a stain. But he played beautifully. He had one touchdown pass to Nick Vanette. He had one shuttle pass, I think it was a shuttle pass, to Tim Patrick and two deep ball beautiful passes to kj hamler who just i mean he was just dropping dimes on this game folks and you know let me just be clear about something one game does not erase everything bad that drew lock has done over the season okay let me just make that clear because if you've been following me since the beginning you know that i'm a drew i'm big on drew lock i love drew lock And granted, he has not had anywhere near the season that me and anybody else who probably may feel the same way has expected. You know, we were expecting him to come out and have and play games like like the one you just saw against Carolina, but against even better teams. And unfortunately, that has not happened. It has not come to fruition. But we are in a position where it's almost eerily close to where we were last year. And not so much in terms of of, Ju- of Julak's burst or progression, but more in terms of the offensive coordinator, um, I don't know if you want to say epiphany or breakout or whatever it is, but it was toward the end of the stretch of the season where the offensive coordinator finally started to get his shit together. And, you know, running plays were working and passing plays were working. Last year, the biggest game for Drew Locke was the one he had against Houston, where he just lit that defense up. And th- this game against Carolina is damn near right there with the performance that Drew Locke had last season against Houston. So, y- you know, it it hopefully this is something that continues to 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 go, and it's not just a one-time thing. Because I've also been seeing on social media that a lot of people were shitting on. On the, I I, I took it as shitting because they kept saying like, oh, it's Carolina, you know their their defense is terrible, and it's like their defense might not be the best, but it also wasn't the worst. You have to keep in mind this is the same defense that shut out Matt Stafford. This is the same defense that shut out Matt Ryan, if I'm not mistaken. Their defense had has had really good drives this season. They're not the Jets. They're not the ja- They're not the Jaguars. And Two of those quarterbacks are quarterbacks that people are are yammering at the mouth that they want Denver to go and bring in next year. So uh, it, you, you have to understand that, an, a, a road game, at least to me, winning on the road is always so much better than winning at home because it's a lot harder. And this season may not be so much because you don't have to deal with you know gigantic crowds like in previous years, but. Uh, it, it's still it's 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 a big it's a bigger victory in my sense. I I know that winning at home is also important because you know you have to defend your home turf and that's all good and well and true. But at least you have the home field advantage. When you're on the road, you don't have home field advantage. You're dealing with a team that has a home field advantage. So you know escaping that stadium and flying away with a win is always more and to me is a little bit more important than you know you just sitting at home watching the. the you know, the opposing team fly away with an L. So, but that's just my take. But anyway, going back to drew lock, drew lock was starting to do the one thing we wanted him to do since week one, which he didn't do. And that's trusting his pocket, which is saying a lot because we didn't have Garrett Bowles this game, uh, because he came down with a last minute illness overnight. Uh, apparently he ate something that didn't agree with his stomach. Some people say it was pizza. Some people say it was uh, hotel buffet food, I don't know, but whatever he ate, Noah Fan ate it too, and he all, he tried to come on and play. I think he was only on in the on the field for like a drive, and then he got pulled out and he was uh, <clears throat> knocked back down to out. So he didn't play. the The only thing that still troubles me about that offensive line is why the fuck is Wilkerson still out there? Demar Dotson was not hurt. He was cleared to play. He was just chilling on the sideline. I want to know what it is that Mike Munchak sees in in Wilkerson. Is it something that, you know, I'm starting to think that, you know, since Garrett Bowles made such a 180 turn, that you know he's now he's rated one of the best left tackles in football. That is it. That is it. The same thing that Mike Munchak is. Is he trying to do the same thing with Wilkerson? Is he trying to make it? <clears throat> excuse me. Is he trying to make it where Wilkerson next season, if he's even still on this team, which I hope not, but if he comes back and is he going to be like better than Jawan James? Uh, you know, is he going to be one of the best right tackles in football? Is, is he trying to make Wilkerson into some kind of miracle story? Like, I, I mean, I, I just don't get it. I don't know. I wish I could pick his mind and, and, and figure out what the fuck he sees in that man that makes him go out there and put his quarterback at at large because my only ju lock in my opinion only had two really bad plays and the first one was where he gave up the 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 fumbles the fumble sack now him getting sacked is not his fault but the fact that he didn't secure the ball—it wasn't a blindside sack. If it was a blindside sack, I would have said, "Okay, you didn't see it." You, you know, it, it's hard to, to secure the ball when you don't when you get hit from behind. But he saw the two linemen coming, and it looked like he tried to maybe shuttle it or throw it at the last second, which is something you don't do. If you see your two big ass linemen coming towards you, you just you got to take the sack. I know you don't want to. I know you want to shuttle the pass, and some quarterbacks have done you know miracle plays, but it's either you you try to do something heroic and then it turns out to be intentional grounding and then you lose it down and it's a sack and or you cough up the ball so <clears throat> you know in when when in that situation Ju Lock has to learn you know to tuck the ball in and then just just roll with the punches and and take the hit and that that play served as bit of a catalyst for Carolina in terms of them you know starting to gain some type of of momentum and you know trying to keep pace with Denver because up until that point the Denver defense was doing a fantastic job of keeping Bridgewater and company at bay and you know Robbie Anderson he was a bit of a thorn in the side of of the Broncos defense making all these catches and you know getting getting yards out to carry and you know basically moving Carolina down the field uh this in the second half the first half uh, the Broncos' defense did really good in terms of bottling up, but we'll get into that part later in the show. Um, so let's keep let's take a more closer look at the offense. Uh, Melvin Gordon had 13 carries for 68 yards. He didn't have any touchdowns, but he averaged 5.2 yards a carry. Uh, Philip Lindsay had 11 yaw- carries for 24 yards, and he averaged 2.2 yards uh, a carry. Drew Locke had six carries. He ran the ball six times. Uh, but he only had four yards and 0.7 uh, yards averaged. So this running, the running game so far for Denver has not been as great as I wanted it to be because unfortunately Philip Lindsay is still not a hundred percent and an injured Philip Lindsay, like I said last week does nobody any good. I, I, I know I sound like a broken record when I keep saying I admire his heart. I admire his drive. I admire his, his tenacity, Everything, basically, the fact that he wants to go out there and perform, I admire in any football player, especially Philip Lindsay. You know, homegrown, hometown kid. But when you have an injury that limits your ability to play at your best, and you're kind of forcing yourself, that brings, that sets a different standard, and it's a whole different dynamic at that. Because these numbers, these are numbers you ever see from from lindsey you know only 24 yards in 11 carries it's like uh, you know lindsey's more of a jump cut kind of running back if he if he sees the inside closest he's really good at running uh, running outside and you know trying to to get yards at that but he can't even do that because his injuries uh are limiting him from being able to to cut and most of those um carries that i saw he mostly got he got engulfed when he tried to run down the middle, and when he tried to cut before he can get outside, you know there was a lineman already there to to bring him down. Now, in Philip Lindsay's defense, the O line was incomplete. It was a completely different O line set because Graham Glasgow was ruled out, so they had Calvin Anderson in there, and um, we had Wilkerson at at right tackle. and And Wilkerson is he's a, he's a turnstile, to be honest with you. So, I, I mean, I, I still don't know why the fuck he was even in that game. If he would have had DeMar Dotson in there, I think Gordon and Lindsey's numbers would have been so much better. I think Gordon could have probably broke 100 yards. Lindsey would have probably made 50, I'm guessing, on 11 carries. And, but Gordon, Gordon has basically been the, he's been more of a, the backup running back than he has, you know, the, the one-two punch running but that i've been preaching about since the beginning of the season and i know we 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 talk about this almost every week and a lot of fans are still pissed off that you know he got a big fat contract and or that he's an overrated running back and and what have you and and i i tend to agree with you to a certain point like you know they did pay him maybe too much money uh for uh non non non-starting Uh, running back role and instead being a co number one running back or or whatever that funny ass position him and lindsey came up with at the beginning of the season but when the chips are down and he has to carry the running game i think he's done a pretty decent job it hasn't been you know eight million dollars worth where he's you know putting up derrick henry numbers and rushing in for three or four touchdowns it hasn't been that good but it's been decent enough where when we really needed Gordon to, you know, try to go and get the first down or or not cough up the ball, he's at least done that. Even though, while I say that, I know you he's coughed up the ball four fucking times this season, which is more than I'd ever like to see from an eight million dollar running back. But hopefully, you know, he's, he's hopefully he's doing something to kind of work on ball security. But at the most, he's been doing decent amount of work in terms of being that you know, that workhorse running back when he knows he has to be, uh, especially seeing as how I, I'm, I I see, I don't see any way that Denver gets rid of, of Melvin Gordon. I don't think he's worth taking that dead cap hit if they cut him. Uh, and I know, and I know people are kind of speculating that because his, his court case thing or whatever got delayed. till January, which means that he will play the last three games of the season and he'll probably more than likely miss the first two games of 2021. Uh, whether he's a Bronco or not, but I, I see I see Denver sticking with him. I think him and Phillip Lindsay, well, a healthy Phillip Lindsay at that, make a really good running back tandem. And you know, hopefully our O line gets uh, gets in shape, gets healthy, gets better, and you know they can come. They can find a way to re- revert into that one-two punch combo that we or that I have been clamoring for <clears throat> since the beginning of the season. So, uh Royce Freeman, I think they they might just end up getting uh cutting Freeman. I don't think they can trade him. I don't know what his contract looks like. He should be towards the end near end of his deal. So, I it could be another like uh you know Devonte Booker type of thing and you know who knows, maybe Freeman goes and you know joins the Chargers or or the um well, I was going to say the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have they're, they're good at running back. They don't really need a third string. Uh, that's then that's the only saying if Le'Veon Bell even decides to stick around next season for them. But the uh the wide receivers, I I almost started there. <laughs> KJ Hamler had he only had two receptions. That's the thing that kills me the most is KJ Hamler only had two receptions, but he had 86 yards for two touchdowns. And he was targeted three times so only out of those three times he only caught the ball twice i think one was uh, an overhead pass or uh, an incomplete pass to him so kj hamler when he has that speed that is just incredible it's not like jerry judy cut speed but it's that speed that he can go down damn near unnoticed and he can make people, you know, on maybe on a double move thing twice or whatever. But it was good enough to fool that Carolina defense. And it, it was just beautiful. And, the fact, and, and it's great to know that we know that he can catch those deep passes. Because that's something that most rookie wide receivers struggle with at the beginning. Is catching those deep passes. And, you know, trying to uh, make plays while being closely covered. But Hamler... Aside from that second one, he that first touchdown pass, he was all by himself, so he didn't have any trouble catching that one. The second one, the defender got close to him, but damn near not enough time for her, the defender to try to uh, make a, a play to you know hit the ball out. But it was two great pa- uh, pass catches by K.J. Hamler, and it just goes to show you that... Uh, it, it, Hamler, he, he's going to be a problem for, for defenses going into the future. And it's a great problem to have for. Or, well, I was going to say that differently. <laughs> I was going to say it's a great problem for Denver to have, but it, it's not really a problem. It's more of, of uh, problem giving. Let's, let's just call it problem giving, okay? Because I lost my train of thought. Troy Magali had four receptions for 53 yards, no touchdowns, but he was targeted five times. So Fumagalli, I have to admit, is he was a guy that a lot of people overlooked when he got drafted by Denver. Was it two two years ago? I think. And then he got cut, and then he got brought back, and you know he's filling in for an injured Alberto. And uh, no, well, no offense, not like injured, injured, but he's he has a lingering issue injury that is not. He is preventing Noah Fan from playing at his one most one hundred percent. But he's been a really good number two tight end option, in my opinion, for for Drew Lock. And I, I don't. I think he's a restricted free agent at the end of this season. So if there's a way that Denver can find a way to kind of keep him around and bring him back, uh, that that'd be great because I think he he's done more than enough to 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 earn at least a number three spot I would say behind Fanton and Alberto, and he would have had a, a, his first touchdown a couple weeks ago if Drew Locke didn't fucking overthrow him um, so you know there's, there's that Jerry Judy had two receptions for 42 yards zero touchdowns but he had four targets on the day and he had a beautiful deep pass catch that um, is just, was just really really good now Jerry Judy is he he kind of I know he kind of rubbed people a, a lot the wrong way last week with his uh, tweet that he put up after the Kansas City loss where he said you know at least he got his his conditioning in and I I don't remember if I addressed this in the last episode but I'm just gonna say that there are things that you should and shouldn't put on social media if you're uh, a uh, an, an athlete, a sports athlete, shit like that. If you have a problem with you not getting enough targets or whatever, that's the kind of shit you take to your coaches. You go to Pat Shermer and say, "Hey, I'm not happy with the way we're running this offense. I think I need to get more more pass catches." Or you go to your head coach. You whatever you need, whoever you need to go to, you go to that person. But you don't put that shit up on social media because even if you delete it, people on social media, especially Twitter are so quick to screenshot and people are so quick to judge because then rumors just start flying all over the fucking place you know oh jerry judy and drew locker are in a feud jerry judy wants out of denver you know they should trade jerry judy so like all these things just start going everywhere and it just you know reality becomes fiction basically and then no matter how much then you try to go back out there and try to You know throw water on the fire and say oh that's not what i meant i no you you just don't do that if you have problems with the way the the offense is being run you go to your coach you go to your head coach you go to whoever it is that you report to and say hey look i'm not happy with the way uh we're running things i want more targets i want more you know i want more me time basically and I know most wide receivers, especially rookies, they get a, they start to get that ego at the beginning, especially for being number one pick, like Judy is. But at the same time, on the other side of that coin, Jerry Judy, to me, has had more drop passes than any other uh, rookie wide receiver in his class, in terms of CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs. And Ruggs hasn't been targeted as much as, as Judy has, I think. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's probably the only exception. in in Dallas who's had more targets and CeeDee Lamb has had more than one touchdown as well. Jerry Judy, as far as I'm concerned, he's only had one touchdown and that was the, that fantastic catch he got from uh, our backup quarterback against the Jets. So, but it's not Judy's fault. It's, it's more of the offensive scheme. That's not really working. It's not really working to, to his, uh, to his uh, ability. And, you know, going into this, Jerry Judy was supposed to be the second wide receiver to Courtland Sutton. But Corlin Sutton goes down and, you know, Tim Patrick has stepped up to being the kind of the replacement to the veteranship of, of what Sutton normally would bring to this offense. So I, I think that Jerry Judy's uh, his count is going to go up uh, over time. Maybe not so much within the next three games, but it should be enough that when he goes into a sophomore year next year, he he does see uh, improvement because now Judy has seen what this offense can do, what plays are, are working, what plays don't. He's basically seeing his quarterback develop and implement himself into a much safer position in this offense. So now that we know that Julak is starting to trust his pocket, which is something he didn't really do these last few weeks where it's like he would snap the ball and all of a sudden he would scramble when there was no need for him to fucking scramble and, you know, throw off his back foot or whatever. But now we're starting to see, and that was with an offensive line that was just scraped up at the last minute. So imagine with the offensive line is healthy, you know, with a healthy Juwan James that I'm praying comes back healthy and stronger than he was before he decided to opt out this season and, you know, an improvement in Graham, healthy Graham Glasgow. Cushionberry on those screen passes was just amazing he was just bowling trucking people Garrett Bowles the left tackle he's made such a huge improvement and I can only imagine that he's only going to get better as time goes by and um, who am I missing oh yeah Dalton Reisner um, Reisner has been having a bit of a down year you know his his, la- his year last year was a lot more to me more glamorous than this year he's been struggling at times this year he's it's been kind of like a teeter-totter seesaw type of season so uh, hopefully he shows improvement going into his junior year on this offensive line but the, the tools are there the tools to make this team a whole lot better or this offensive line a whole lot better i should say they're there now we just need drew lock to trust his offensive line we need to we need you log to be able to read the defense better going into his third year. And now you see when he can trust his offensive line, when he can know what the play is, when he can sense a blitz coming, when he can sense that um you know a certain wide receiver has the chance to be open. Like in that that first touchdown pass to KJ Hamler, I saw a video of this before I came on he called an audible where he told basically, I forgot what the code word was, but he basically told KJ Hamler, you know, Hey, go fly. I got you because he saw that the coverage was going to, that the coverage was going to break down and the ball, the pass was going to be there. He just needed Hamler to be there to catch it. And it worked. So to me, I'm hoping that, um, actually, you know what, before I go into that thought, there is a, we did miss a, uh, a tie, yeah, Nick Vanette. I did mention him. I don't think I did. But he had four receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown pass. And he had four targets. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I I got him in because he was part of that incredible offensive run. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton had one reception for 13 yards. He only had one target. Philip Lindsey had two receptions for seven yards and two targets. And Melvin Gordon had three receptions for 23 yards and three targets. So... uh. Basically, they they did. The offense was was really really good. The only probably the, the only bad part about that it was the the kicking. Brandon McManus uh, he missed uh, two point afters, but he hit a field goal. So I know he put a lot of credit on himself or or blame on himself, I should say. So, uh, but then, you know, normally it's, it's kind of like one of those, well, you do if you don't, but you know, you're paying McManus a lot of money to make those types of, of kicks. So the fact that he missed both of them, I, I can understand why he was pretty down, uh, pretty down on himself and, you know, pretty blameful, but it, it could have been bad if, you know, if Carolina had went and gotten that touchdown. And then it's like, if Denver lost by two points, then, you know, then that guilt would have been even more. On Brandon McManus for not making those those kicks, but hopefully it was just something that he was going through. And as of this recording, uh, he is reportedly on the COVID COVID uh, reserve list. So hopefully he clears that and it's just a false positive. But um, I, I think he, I think he'll be fine. He just had a bad bad day bad day at the office. It happens to a lot of people. And let's not forget Deontay Spencer finally had his return for 83 yards uh return punt touchdown and let's let's just be let's get one thing clear folks this does not exonerate Tom McMahon by no stretch of the imagination one great punt return play does not say hey Tom McMahon, you know your job is saved we'll see you next year no i still think that man is gone and at least i i i hope he is because it's it's just one play out of 17 uh weeks 17 games and i just think that special teams can be so much much more better i'm not trying to take anything away from what spencer did i think spencer had a fantastic run at first i thought he was gonna get knocked down by his own teammate but he was able to find a a, a route and he turned down the jets and that man was gone so it was a great way for the the broncos to start that that uh, that first quarter uh, i yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was in the first quarter. So it, was, it, was a, it was basically the catalyst that started the whole Broncos uh, day in terms of, of pointage before Drew Locke went out there and just lit that Carolina defense on fire. But I think the biggest takeaway from the, the offense this week, no picks. And that, to me, brings a bigger smile on my face than almost. <laughs> just about as big as reading four touchdowns at the same time. So hopefully Drew Locke can continue uh these next three weeks because his biggest challenge is in my opinion coming up so with that said we're going to take a quick break folks and we'll be right back after these kind words And we're back. If you're just joining us, we did the recap of the Broncos' offense, which played fantastically against Carolina. And if you're new to the show, we do the Broncos' half at the beginning, and then we recap the Broncos' defense in the second half of the show. So the Broncos' defense did actually pretty well uh, in terms of of what they had uh, available to, to them because we... The quarterback situation going forward is gonna be a really, really interesting uh really interesting I was gonna say idea or situation, but it it it's I c I can't find the wording for it because it's unbelievable. Like I know I was I was kinda of, I wasn't big on Duke Dawson, as I may have said in the last episode. And I was kind of saying the same thing going into this game. Like, I don't want to see that much of Duke Dawson. But unfortunately, he went down with an an injury and it's a torn ACL. And I I just hate, I just hate saying and thinking things like that because I don't wish injury on anybody Uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's, you, you don't want to do, even if they're not the greatest at what they do. You just don't want that kind of bad juju i guess is the word i don't know if it's even the word um i i want to mention but it's just it it just and it was a non-contact injury which makes it even worse he hurt himself i think he caught his 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 cleat got caught in the ground or something like that from what i saw in the replay and he just he just went down and then he wasn't the only one um, I believe Kevin Tolliver or Oliver Tolliver, I can't remember his last name. I know it's Kevin, Kevin something. Kevin Tolliver, I think it was, who was the backup to the backup also went down. And I believe he also has a torn ACL injury. So uh, I know the Broncos signed uh, another cornerback to their practice squad. I, I don't remember his name, but I saw that headline before I came uh, online. But he won't be able to play because of the mandatory uh, COVID clearance protocol. So he won't see the field until uh, possibly against the Chargers game if he gets elevated from the practice squad uh, to play. But uh, aside from that, uh, Bosby played some really, really good football. And he basically showed why he should have... He should have never went through that route where he got cut and went to uh, you know, Arizona and he played a game with them. And then he got cut and then he brought back. He got brought back. He basically showed why he is a pretty good cornerback. And I mean, it's not nothing amazing like Bryce Callahan amazing, but he does compliment playing behind somebody like him. And uh, dare I say, probably even better than AJ Bouye, uh, who, by the way, is suspended and will not return until next season. I personally don't think he'll come back as a Bronco I think the I think Denver will probably cut their losses uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know they want to take that dead money hit. I don't know what what that hit would be. he hasn't really been that big cornerback playout player that we had hoped him to be. Uh, and that's saying, and I actually had high expectations for him because with with Fangio, Fangio is he's one of the best defensive coordinators in in the league, and I like to believe that whoever decides to come and play, uh, you know, defense for him, whether it's cornerback or linebacker or, 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 or midnight linebacker or outside linebacker or whatever, that he can bring out the best in you. And. I thought that, you know, maybe Bouye just needed a change of scenery because with some players, all they need is a change of scenery. And in a team where they struggled, they can shine in another, you know, offensive or defensive scheme on a new n- new team. So that's basically what I was hoping for in, in Bouye. But unfortunately, we haven't really gotten that feeling from him. We have gotten it from... Uh, from Callahan, and that's because Callahan was, was out for the entire season last year, and he came in and he's played some some of his, probably his best football since he was a, a Chicago Bear. But unfortunately, he's out with an injury, and he could come back against uh, the Chargers, m- maybe the Raiders, depending on where Bronco, where the Broncos stand in those two games. But it would have been a great, great, great uh, player to have against this upcoming game with buffalo uh so the the broncos secondary they're gonna have more than their hands full against that talented uh buffalo bills offense coming into town on saturday but uh the, you know uh, but again in this game the, the broncos they they brought the heat i mean it was what am i counting one two three four sacks on the day one by atachu one by will parks one by Demarcus Walker and one by Draymond Jones. So it's, you know, the guys that you probably weren't expecting to to get sacks, they got the sacks. Uh, they did their job. Uh, Bradley Chubb was mostly quiet. I know he got maybe a hit or two, but, you know, no no registered sacks. And the same thing for Malik Reed. And Malik Reed is is just somebody who I really want to get behind and say, hey, you know, he's, he's, He's 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 the guy that can possibly have a future in Denver. But it's just when when I don't expect him to do nothing, he goes out there and he shines. And then when I put my hope behind him, he he just has a, a quiet day where he he doesn't he doesn't get no hits. He doesn't get no sacks. Uh, and it, it just sucks. And I, I really do hope that he has a strong finish towards the end. Because I still I still feel that you know I wish that we could have found a way to keep Shaquille Barrett on this team when he was a Bronco, but he he didn't really want to play behind you know talented guys like Von Miller and and Bradley Chubb and rightly so, and he's having a really good outstanding year. Uh, Well, maybe not outstanding. He's just having let's just say a good year. Last year for him and the Bucks off and the Bucks defense, I'm sorry, was outstanding. He was he was leading the league in sacks and he just had a fantastic season last year, but this year he's been not the best, but not the worst either in, in that Todd Bowles defensive scheme, but um, a lot. And you know what? That goes back to, I I know. And I, I get hyped up too. When I see the, the videos or pictures of Von Miller practicing out with the team. And I'm like, Oh shit. You know, Von's coming back to play. And then it's like, no, he's just, he's still warming up. He's still getting, you know, he's, he's, he has to try to get used back into that, Football form that he left behind back in September uh, when he got injured. So it's like uh, it's, it just feels like a, it feels like a tease, you know. And I'm I'm still kind of skeptical that Von Miller sees the field this season. I think he could. Uh, he's not going to play against Buffalo. We we know that for sure. But he could maybe make the team against uh, the Chargers in week 16 and then more than likely the Raiders week 17. Uh, But even so, he's not going to be an every down player. I think he'll be on a limited snap uh, just to try to get him back into ease. But then again, I I don't know what his, his medical progress is. I don't know what his future status with the Broncos is. To be honest with you, I have read from other uh, analysts and articles that some people believe that the Broncos might deal von Miller while he has some trade value left. And I just don't think that's possible. I think that he'll find a way, even if he has to re uh, restructure his, his contract or, or whatever. I when when Bron, when Bron <laughs> when Von said that you know he wanted to be a Bronco for life. I honestly know he meant he means that and that's a philosophy that that John Elway has always expressed that he always wants from his players is that you know he wants players that that he wants to try to keep players that want to be Broncos for life and I know that's you know that's a bit of a stretch because you know this is a, a this is the NFL and players get cut they get traded they get uh you know drafted and and what have you players are always moving around in one way or another basically you know every offseason during the trade um the the trade weeks and 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 whatnot but there are just there but then again there are those star franchise players that whenever you hear their name you already know that that's the team oh that's the team that you know he was with and he made a career there and you know he's going to go down maybe one day in in the hall of fame as you know one of the best at that position for that team you know just like john elway is for the broncos and Von Miller, I'm more than likely sure, is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. And and who knows? Maybe he might have a, a, a coaching job with uh, the Broncos in the future as well. Or who knows? Maybe some other team in the NFL. But that's, that's a little bit more far-fetched. Uh, but anyway, back to the defense against Carolina. They did a really, really great job in the first half keeping Bridgewater bottled up. In the second half, I kind of felt like uh, they kind of leaned a little bit. Uh, they kind of let their foot off the gas pedal. They weren't as aggressive. They let Bridgewater get a little bit too close to comfort for my liking in terms of, you know, trying to stay relevant in the game. Sorry, I had to get a drink of water. But it wasn't anything where the Broncos were in, you know, uh where they have been most of the season, where they were playing catch up, and that's a really great thing to say because when the Broncos have to try to play catch up to another team, that's when they're more vulnerable or liable to make mistakes. You know, that's when you see those errant throws by Drew Locke and or or just the defense that's you know trying to gets exhausted out in the field, and you know then the the opposing team's running game just has a has a fucking field day. Eh? But when the when the Broncos are in the driver's seat. They can really, really do some damage, and I'll give credit to uh, Joey Sly, the Panthers' kicker, who did that really, really weird kick, and you know kept the kept the Broncos' offense damn near in their own end zone, and almost caused uh, a very terrible, terrible play that, if Melvin Gordon hadn't caught it, it, would have been a safety, and you know maybe even worse. But when the defense needed to, to come up. They, they came up. They got four sacks on the day. It wasn't from the people we expected. But when they got to the quarterback, they got to the quarterback. And I'm pretty sure Bridgewater had uh, had some shades in memory of, uh, I think it was, no, it wasn't week, I don't know if it was week three or week four of the 2015 season when Bridgewater was a Viking. And I don't know if you remember this game, but I, it was in the Vikings' last drive. And Vaughn, I don't know if it was Vaughn. Somebody got the sack. It was either Vaughn or Demarcus Ware who who strip sacked Bridgewater, but Vaughn got the recovery, and that was basically the game. And the Broncos won that game against the Vikings. So I'm pretty sure Bridgewater had flashbacks of that, that season and that, you know, that just defensive line that just beat up offensive lines all that season you know that was just a a great line to have and wolf and malik jackson demarcus ware and and von miller but the the linebackers they they did pretty they did pretty good you know the running game wasn't uh it wasn't anything to run away with i i don't really blame put the blame on them for the the two mike davis uh touchdowns the first one was I mean, you couldn't really do much because that was just a a bad, bad play from the offense. And the defense got put in a really bad position to try to stop. And, you know, Mike Davis, he's no Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, he's a pretty stout power running back. And, you know, he forced himself in in that running game. But they didn't allow any giant runs from the the running game at all, which is something that the Broncos have struggled with in, in the past. And, uh, you know, I, I think that they did a, they did a pretty good job. Uh, Kareem Jackson and, and uh, Justin Simmons, they played really, they played pretty good. I mean, it wasn't great football from them. You know, they didn't get any interceptions, but they didn't give up any giant plays. They, uh, Vic Fangio kept pushing them, you know, towards, uh, you know, kind of still playing that five feet away. Uh, and giving up the, the 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 small the small plays or the small passes, and you know with with a guy like Robbie Anderson, you don't really want to do that because you give Robbie Anderson that that type of, of field, and you know he'll find a way to cut and turn it into something much much more, which is what he did most of the time, because he saw that the cornerbacks were you know they were playing different covers and they were just playing like five feet away instead of playing close or playing man, and you know he, he punished them them for that. But I think Bosby probably had the best showing out of all the the defensive players because he I think he had he had he had I don't know if we want to say a chip on his shoulder but he had more to prove and unfortunately there was an, a super easy interception that went right through his hand and it couldn't have been at first we all thought it was because Kareem Jackson ran into him but when you see it in slow motion Kareem Jackson clearly you know. N- avoids the contact he jumps up in the air but he throws his shoulder back so he doesn't run into his own player and there was no contact at all and unfortunately that went right through Bosby's hands for and easy would have been the only interception of that game but it would have been a crucial one in keeping Carolina from trying to make any type of uh, of a comeback but Bosby did um he did make up for it towards the end where and I'm you know what? And this is probably bad of me. I probably shouldn't have done this. But while I was watching uh, the Mile High Huddle uh, the other day and I just happened to... I forgot what I did. But I, I logged out of YouTube and I logged back in. And as as I was getting ready to jump back into the podcast, it YouTube recommended me the the Panthers. Uh, there, there was a, a Panthers Live podcast that was going on. So and I don't know why I just I was like you know what let me just check this out for a second so I, I jumped in and it was just I think it was I, I don't know what the name of the Panthers podcast was but it was like three or four guys and they were just you know raving at how the the GM is garbage and they're tired of of the, the coach the coaching staff and is, is no good and you know Bridgewater was an overpaid quarterback and you know just they're just going on and on uh about that but the one thing that struck out to me as um, as as the the, the, the the continuing theme was that last play uh, between Bridgewater and that fourth uh, and that last drive, I should say, before the two minute warning, you know, Bridgewater was, you know, he's trying to force another play before the two minute warning, but then he ends up getting he ends up getting sacked. I think it was no, no, he got sacked before. He ends up throwing an incomplete pass for no gain so he rushed the play which went incomplete and it did nothing but waste just a little bit more time and and the next play when it was fourth down i think it was fourth and eight instead of throwing over the sticks he throws under his slant route hoping that his wide receiver can outrun the defender and you know run out of bounds but unfortunately as soon as uh, i think it was anderson as soon as anderson caught that ball bosby was all over him and brought him down so, and you know, that was, that was basically the game after that. The Panthers didn't have any more timeouts. And that to me was a questionable pass because it seemed like Bridgewater went for the safe play instead of trying to go for, you know, a home run, a home run, home run play on fourth down, which is what I would imagine if I was a offensive coordinator, I would try to do because, you know, going under the state, like, I, I get it. Robbie Anderson is fast, but if he was by himself, that's one thing. But if Bridgewater sees that, you know he's being chased by, by, by an opposing player, I'm guessing that Bridgewater thought that you know Robbie Anderson would turn on the Jets and you know break a tackle and you know go and get not only just get the conversion but try to get more downs as he goes out of bounds. That's what I'm guessing his thought was. But that risk is way too much because you're just asking for too many things to happen at once, and it it rarely ever does and it was from what i saw from that play it wasn't where the the, the the pocket was collapsing so much where he didn't have time he had about another maybe second or two before the pocket completely collapsed and he just he just threw the ball and it was it was a, it, it wasn't an ill time throw but it wasn't the the right throw so to speak you want to give your team a chance to try to to you know to get a conversion if you throw it down the field and your receiver at least tries to make a catch for it and it's incomplete or it gets picked off at least you try but when you throw under the sticks and that's something that denver can relate to because there have been a bunch of times over this season where it's third down it's not the end of the game but you're looking at Drew Locke, the same thing or the broncos run the ball on third and like seven and you're like what the why would you run the ball on third and seven or or why would you throw the ball under the stick? So we have been in that boat more than one time. I'm pretty sure I can't think of every single time, but I know I've complained about that exact same fucking thing from, from Jewel. And I know Jewel lock is only taking his orders from the calls that come into his helmet, but it still kind of makes you think like, what the fuck, man? Like, why would you do that? And from what I saw from, uh, from Panthers fans, um, on different, uh, NFL sites they were basically complaining over the same thing and they were more mad at Bridgewater because he threw that pass So I can understand the frustration with with Panthers fans over. Why would you go? for that type of play instead of trying to extend the drive and you know trying to make a play for your team trying to go for the win basically and not settle for uh, For the safe route, which is what I believe you did. But anyway, Kudos to uh, Devontae Bosby for not for making the the stop and you know getting the ball back and he he was just he was just it was great he was there and it it it'll be interesting to see what the Broncos do with Bosby at the end of the season going into what I can only imagine is gonna be a bit of a struggle for the, the secondary in terms of well in terms of you know coach decisions on what they're gonna do with Kareem Jackson. Uh, if Justin Simmons is going to get his big payday, what they're going to do with Bouye. Are they going to juggle, you know, Bosby around again? What are they going to do with all their injured cornerbacks? Are they going to cut them? Are they going to, you know, keep them, see how they do after they rehab? I don't know. I have a feeling that that, that'll mostly... that's Well, on the other hand, that's kind of the benefit of having the, you know, know, a defensive-minded coach like Fangio and even Ed Donatel, who knows all of big Fangio's plays oh who I let me just say I also give credit to because now that he's back up on the booth you know that takes a a, a load off of Fangio's mind and trying to you know call the defensive schemes from the bottom because Adonitel can do that now and I think the defense from what they played from just scrapping up that secondary and they played that good is just beyond amazing and you got to give all the credit in the world for not just the players that went out there but you know Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio being able to scrape up guys at the last minute and just say, "Hey, this is gonna be our defense." You know, let's go out there and and, and kick some fucking ass. So, and and again, kudos to Ed Donatell for recovering and you know beating COVID and coming back and you know doing what he loves to do, which is you know calling football. So, I think the defense did really good. Now up against Buffalo, uh, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a much bigger challenge. And I know that there's a lot of things that need to happen for the Broncos to, you know, because technically the Broncos are still not mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, but there is just so much that needs to happen that I don't think that even if Denver wins out, I don't think that everything else that needs to happen will happen. And if it does, it would be anything beyond of a miracle. But we need to ask ourselves, can this... Defense going in as beaten as it is, going and contend with you know with the big dogs like uh, you know rematch with the the Steelers or um I, I would say the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are more than likely going to get a, a first round by or going up with the the Colts. I mean the the AFC is looking like a really really tough, tough tough, uh, uh playoffs contenders. I think the AFC has tougher playoff contenders than the NFC does. The NFC is just, you know, they're always an up and down type of, uh, conference every year. Sometimes they're better. They're stronger on defense. Sometimes they're stronger on offense. But I think the AFC has more than one like team that can just knock you out of your boats. Now, if Denver can go and, and, and upset win Buffalo, then, you know, shit, the sky's the limit. Especially if Drew Locke can keep this momentum going in terms of, um, uh, you know, continuing to play like you did against Carolina, then, you know, shit, we, we might have something here. But I have to finish. I have to collect my thoughts. I have to, you know, I haven't really thought everything coming up against uh, Buffalo. That will be saved for uh, in a few days from now. And But in, in recap of uh, this Carolina game, the Broncos came in. They were underdogs if I'm not mistaken but they came in and even though it's not considered an upset win it's basically a win that Broncos country needed it proved a lot of the Drew Locke haters not wrong but it quieted them down for a little bit and hopefully Drew Locke can continue and you know have three more amazing games and we can get rid of this whole quarterback question bullshit going into the offseason so that way we don't have to look at Veteran quarterbacks, and or try to get a, a new quarterback from the draft, and you know, I just don't want any of that shit. I I don't want any of that shit. I honestly don't. I think Drew Lock is, is gonna be our guy, whether he's the the franchise quarterback or the next Mahomes or the next Lamar Jackson or whatever, whatever people want to rate him as. Drew Lock is turning into Drew Lock, and if you're asking yourself, well, we don't know what Drew Lock is we're starting to get to know it. And I think that with going into his junior year, I think that the best is still yet to come, but we need to make sure that, you know, we don't get another random offensive coordinator. We need to make sure that whatever it takes to make drew lock better stays. And that there's no more sudden changes to the offense because any more sudden changes, you're going to screw up the whole formula and then we're going to be back to square one. So, Hopefully we can find a way to keep embedding ourselves and not keep shooting ourselves in the foot or, you know, regressing and, you know, just saying, well, you, well, you know, we, we fucked up. We, we guess we don't have the answers, but anyway, big win in Carolina against Carolina. It's always great to beat the Panthers. And I think that this team, they're, they're, they're better than their record States. And I know that that's been said a lot around this league, but I honestly do believe it. And if it wasn't for all the injuries, I think the Broncos would be in a much more better position to be a playoff contenders than instead of playing catch up in the playoff race. So that's going to do it for today's episode, guys. Thanks for joining me. As always, I'm very grateful for you guys to you know take a moment of your time to sit and listen to these uh, these audio podcasts. And don't forget, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at, at the A, the number 6, ft. One zero, the word Mexican, a six foot ten Mexican, because it's true, I am six foot ten. All together, you can follow me on Twitter, you can ask me questions about the show, and I normally just uh, put up random stuff on Twitter about the Broncos, or I'm a big video gamer, so sometimes I post videos of you know, highlights of the video games I play, which are cool. (laughs) Uh, Also, you can come and catch me on the Mile High Roundtable with uh, three of my diehard Broncos fans. We go live every Thursday at, uh, I keep forgetting the times, uh, look us up on YouTube and, and Twitter. The times are posted on there when we go live, but you know, we're starting to make big, big trends or, or strives, uh, doing the, the mile high round table. And I, I can only see that our future just like Broncos country is is bright. So, you know, follow us on there on Twitter at MHRT podcast and like I said we go live every Thursday we do the recap of the game before and you know we give our thoughts and you know ideas and going into the following week's game what we're going to do for the off season is still we still haven't it's still up in the air but I'm pretty sure most uh, sports podcasts are probably going to be doing the exact same thing you know just trying to find content wherever they can during the offseason uh, but it, it, it should be interesting. Uh, it should be interesting. So you know, come in, stay tuned. Uh, you know, subscribe to the to the channel on YouTube, uh, and you know, just come in and support your boys. <laughs> and anyway, that's gonna do it for today's uh, episode. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, I feel like I always, every time I do the outro, I, I feel like I always forget something. Oh, if you're listening on Anchor and you would like to sponsor this this uh, the show. You can, uh, uh, and I'd really appreciate it. Also, there is a big announcement coming about extend the extension of this program, and I will get more into detail maybe after Christmas, after Christmas, before the new year for sure. So, and I think that, yeah, I think our next episode is going to be the Christmas episode of the Broncos Talk podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, have a good day, folks, and I'll see you later, listeners and citizens of Broncos country.